Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Red Justice Project. Because of the holidays, this week's episode will be a mini-sode. So today, we want to share a story with you that we absolutely cannot get out of our heads. It's the story of a young woman whose case absolutely mystified a small town after she mysteriously disappeared while on her way to work. This is the story of the disappearance of Sarah Graham. Okay, so Sarah Graham, she was born on April the 1st, 1996. Uh, She's a member of the Lumbee tribe, so the same tribe that both Chelsea and I are members of, but she actually didn't grow up in Lumbee territory. So from what I can find online, it seems like she was mostly raised by her mama in Texas. Her mama and daddy separated when she was younger, and then her and her brother moved to Texas to live with their mom. And from what we learn from one of Sarah's family members, her family on her dad's side didn't really see her very much at all until she moved in with her daddy after she graduated high school. And we don't really know the reason that she moved to Fairmont, North Carolina, which is where her daddy was from, um, to live with her dad. But it is where she was living at the time of her disappearance. And just for some background on Fairmont... Um, It's located in Robinson County, North Carolina, and Fairmont is a really small town. My daddy's side of my family is actually from there, and I used to get my hair done there all the time, so shout out to Tawanika. But yeah, it's a pretty small town, like everybody knows everybody kind of town. And I'm not too sure of exactly what town Sarah was from in Texas, but I do wonder, you know, how she liked Fairmont. I can imagine that it might be a little bit of a culture shock for for somebody who's not from here or if you're used to being from somewhere that has like a lot of things to do or that's a bigger city. And so Sarah was a young woman. She was just 18 years old. She had brown curly shoulder length hair and tan skin and she wore glasses and had braces. One relative of hers told us that she was, and I quote, the kindest, sweetest person and that she was shy until you got to know her. Honestly, those are some of the best kinds of people. She was living with her dad, Hubert, I think for the first time in her life since he and her mom had split up. Now, her dad was married to a woman named Connie, who would be Sarah's stepmother, and both Connie and her dad worked at the Robinson County Sheriff's Department. Her dad was a sergeant there, and her stepmom was a deputy, and Connie also had a son. We don't really know if he lived there or if Connie had any other children, but we do know that Connie had a son, so Sarah had at least one step-sibling. We really don't know too much about Sarah's relationship with these people. We don't know if she and her stepmother really got along well or if she was close with her dad. You know, all of that information would be super helpful to know as we discuss this case. So we really hope that anyone listening to this episode today will engage with us on Facebook or Instagram in our comments about the case if you knew Sarah or any of her other family members. Um, So anyways, after her move to Fairmont, Sarah got a job at a local Walmart store in Pembroke, North Carolina. She was a cashier and a door greeter there. On the day of February 4th, 2015, she was scheduled to be at work at 7 a.m. in the morning. But Sarah never made it to work that day. On the same day, the white Chevy Astro van she drove, which was her daddy's, was found abandoned in a wheat field at 12.15 p.m., so about five hours after she was supposed to report to work. Witnesses reported seeing the truck at the field as early as 6.45 a.m. once it was announced that it was Sarah's vehicle. This wheat field was about 12 minutes from her house, which was on Centerville Church Road in Fairmont, which would be about six miles. And I did a little Google 
mapping of the specific place and also put in her work location and this van would have been off of her path actually. It looks like the Walmart was actually only 20 minutes away from her house and if you add in the place where her car was found it would have made her drive about 30 minutes. So I don't believe that Sarah was taking a detour to get to work that morning. I don't know if she would have taken a longer route to get there, but I mean 7 a.m. is pretty early, so I doubt she would have been waking up even earlier so she could take the longer way, but that's just our theory. Brittany, what do you think? Would she take the long way from Fairmont to Pembroke at 7 a.m.? So me personally, I know that I would not do that. Um, I would try to take the shortest route, especially if it was that early in the morning. But again, we don't know a lot about Sarah. So we don't know if she's a, a morning person or if she was maybe stopping on her way to work, like to go somewhere else. Um, but just from looking at the Google map, it, it just appears to be completely off the path. And so to me, I think that someone must have been involved, you know, in getting the car there. Um, but the the van was found in this wheat field. And before this, Sarah was not known to be missing. So it doesn't seem like Walmart called her house that day to see where she was or anything like that. So this van is the first alert to her disappearance. The van was found several feet off the road. It did not appear to be damaged in any way. There was no flat tire or anything. But most importantly, it doesn't appear that there was any kind of struggle at all. The van was also locked which I find interesting because if someone managed to get her to pull over and abducted her, why would the car be locked? The van is an older model, so I'm also um, sure that it didn't automatically lock on its own like some cars do today. And now the interesting thing is that there are witnesses who say that they saw the van there as early as 645 that morning. So if you do believe that Sarah was in fact on her way to work that day, and that she did leave her home at 6.30 a.m. like her family says that she did, then that timeline would make sense since the field is about 12 minutes from her house and 15 minutes from the Walmart. But if she, if, if the van was seen at 6.45, then that would mean that Sarah would have had to be either inside of it still in, um, or still in close proximity to it. And there are no reports of anyone stating that they saw a person or people around or inside of the van. And so after the van is found and there is no Sarah in sight, they begin searching for her. 140 volunteers along with law enforcement and a canine team did searches of the area where her car was found and along the route that she would have taken to work, but they found absolutely nothing. But just six weeks after Sarah disappeared, her stepmother was actually fired from the sheriff's department after 23 years of employment. Now that's where the story gets even fishier. Though she was never arrested or named a person of interest in Sarah's disappearance, sources say that her stepmother was considered a suspect. However, the Sheriff's Department said that her firing was not related to the case but was a personnel issue. The Sheriff declined to give any information beyond this. Also, as of 2018, her father no longer works for the Sheriff's Department either. It looks like he works for the Maxton Police Department, which is another small town within the county. And this seems a bit odd, too, to willingly go from being a sergeant at the sheriff's department, which has jurisdiction over the entire county, to then being a police officer in a smaller area. And after 15 years of service, I just don't know. And then for both of them to no longer work for the sheriff's department, it just doesn't seem right. And here is where we again venture into the realm of speculation and hearsay. But there are local theories about what happened to Sarah that I have personally heard repeated over and over again. 
I remember soon after it happened, I was in a local beauty shop. Um, and the people there said that they knew what happened. They said that her stepbrother had been making unwanted sexual advances toward her. And some people even said that he had raped her and that she was going to tell someone. And so the stepbrother killed her, burned her on a mattress, and then the stepmom helped cover it up. And when I was researching this case online, I found a Reddit post that said something similar. It says this, and I'm quoting. I think the most believable theory is a local rumor I read in the comments of a news article a couple of months after she went missing that said that her stepbrother was in love with her and killed her when she rejected him and the stepmom helped cover it up. Also, if you watch true crime stories on YouTube, there's a YouTube show and in the comments, two different people say that the trash had recently been burned at the house that she lived at and one item that was burned was a bed mattress. Once again, this is complete speculation and hearsay and there is no evidence to prove this. Yeah, I, I mean, so for the most part, I could understand because, you know, I come from a family where, you know, they burn trash outside. It's very common in Robinson County where we're from, but I don't know a lot of people that burn bed mattresses or how true that part of the story is with, with along with any other part of it. But I definitely could see them, you know, burning trash as a regular routine thing. But a bed mattress being burned in the yard is highly suspicious to me. Right, right. And also, just another quick thing, like, once a rumor starts, it's almost becomes uncontrollable. And so, you know, they could have just been burning regular things, and then people kind of pick that up as a story. And so, again, we just want to make sh- make it clear that we're just speculating here and repeating things that we've heard and also read online. But but we're not, you know, really sure what, what has happened. Yeah, and other than this kind of thinking and talking in the town, the case went completely cold until December 2018, the skull of a person with braces was found along train tracks in Robinson County. As soon as the skull was found and the person was found to have braces, the sheriff's office immediately considered that it could be Sarah. So her dental records were actually sent off and everyone waited and waited and it turned out to not be a match. The skull was determined to be Varsi Locklear's, a 24-year-old male whose body had actually been found almost two months earlier. It's believed that he was a stowaway on the train and then fell off and was decapitated by the train, which is why his body was actually in a different spot from his skull. But that's a whole nother episode in and of itself. Now, the FBI is still involved in Sarah's case, and they have a $5,000 reward out um it has received very little media attention and even writing the script was pretty difficult for Brittany and I because of the lack of information. There's no coverage of the case outside of the state of North Carolina and barely any outside of the county lines. Uh, Brittany and I were discussing earlier how even our local newspaper, the Robinsonian, has very few articles even on the anniversaries of her disappearance or around her birthday or anything like that. Some people have tried to speculate that she ran off and started a new life, but there's absolutely just no evidence pointing to that, nor any that would suggest that she would not make contact with her family or friends. Other rumors are that she killed herself, which I can't really understand how that's a plausible theory. If you kill yourself, the body's got to be somewhere. I mean, you just can't hide the body and kill yourself at the same time. Also, there's no evidence suggesting that she was depressed or suicidal, so I think that theory is a bit reckless and could really deter law enforcement on investigating this thoroughly. I did find Sarah's Facebook, and one of her friends named 
is Patricia. And on the day Sarah went missing, Patricia actually posted on her Facebook page and said the police had contacted her because she was the last person to talk to Sarah. She also says that the night before, Sarah was at home with her family. So we know for sure that was the last place she was seen. But there are so many things that we don't know, like what happened that night and the next morning. Questions that I have now after reviewing the case in detail is, you know, what about her cell phone data? Um, You know, a lot of times they'll look at um, the cell phone and they'll use that to kind of track the person or establish like a timeline. And so I just wonder if, if her if they ever did that or if her cell phone was even found in the car. Does it show that she ever left her house that morning like her family said she did? You know, what else was found in the car? Was her wallet there? Is there any DNA in the car? Any fingerprints? other than Sarah's or her dad's. And also, if you look at her dad's Facebook page, which he shares with her stepmom, it doesn't appear that they really post about Sarah. And I find that very odd, especially compared to other families of missing people who actively fight to keep their child's memory alive and who try to keep the public interested in the case. So questions that I have now after reviewing this case in detail is, you know, what about her cell phone data? Was her cell phone found in the car? Does it show that she ever left the house that morning like her family said that she did? Was, um, you know, what else was found in the car? Was her wallet there? Is there any DNA in the car? Are there any fingerprints other than Sarah's or her dad's? But this is really where our story ends. You know, we leave this story with questions just because this is a missing persons case. And so we don't know what happened to Sarah. But Sarah today would be 24 years old. And on this case, we beg you, we plead with you, if you have any information at all about Sarah, anything you think might even be partially helpful, please contact the Robinson County Sheriff's Department or the FBI's office in Charlotte, North Carolina immediately. Even the smallest detail might help crack this case wide open and lead us to Sarah so that her loved ones can finally get the answers that they deserve.